You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I want to tell you today that we are about to begin a sermon series that is focused on what we are going to call and identify convictions. The name of the series here we're going to put on the screen is going to be called Convictions. And as you see here with me, this is building a solid foundation. What does that mean? Having conviction. Well, Pastor, Pastor Eric asked me to preach today uh, to introduce the series that's going to be going on now for the next four weeks and getting ready uh, for what we're in for, for what the Bible teaches about convictions. And so today I'm kind of before you as like a John the Baptist where we're preparing the way. I sure not John the Baptist don't have hair long enough. Brother Eric's not Jesus because none of us are, but we're all going to get there. Amen. And we're going to get there together. And this area of conviction is something that we've got to have in our life. One thing I want to tell you about this is I asked Brother Eric about this and I asked him, I said, what direction exactly are we going to be going as our church family begins this area of studying out what convictions are and how do we lay and build the right foundation to know that we've got a biblically based conviction, a set of values. What does that look like? And here's what he said to me in response. He said, my desire is to help our faith family reestablish and form convictions about what they deeply believe in every, in the very practical issues of life. The goal will be to build a a solid foundation to stand on when the demands are intense and we need to make up our minds fast. Convenience, comfort, and pressure will not sway our thinking. I believe Pastor Eric captured the right direction. The thesis is there. There's no question exactly what the goal is for us as a church family and for us as a faith family to be able to say, what exactly is the conviction that I need to have established in my heart and mind? What exactly is God expecting of me? What, what is going to make sense here? To prepare us for the series and introducing the series today, With the help of God's Holy Spirit, here's what we really need. What we need today is we need to identify any areas of our life with Christ in which there is undeniably areas of neutrality. Now, neutrality is not necessarily the absence of conviction. In being neutral in our response to God, neutrality the conviction is still present. There's still a conviction there. Neutrality is not the absence of conviction. It is the negligence of conviction. It is the paralysis of conviction. It's whenever conviction now gives way to something else. And so if God's people become neutral in their response to the world in which we live, The people we work with, the the demands that are upon us as a family, in a society that crumbles as we speak 
demoralizing, dehumanizing, making a mockery of the things of Christ that hate Christ. And this is only growing worse. It is not even survivable to live as a in this culture with no conviction. God's people have got to be able to truly make up their mind more than just verbally saying what my conviction is. Because anybody can talk cheap. But we need to live it out. It needs to be firm like a roaring lion inside of us, like the lion of the tribe of Judah that says, I stand for Christ, with Christ, for Christ, and I, I do so lovingly but unapologetically. That is kind of the groundwork and the baseline that we want to reference where are we in this area of conviction? Conviction is active, but neutrality is passive. And the goal today would be for anybody here that at this moment just can admit that somehow, some way, we are neutral in some of the areas of our Christian walk that maybe at one time we were driving fiercely with passion and zeal and fire shut up in our bones and, and, and we, had, we didn't have to be talked into it. It just happened because conviction was driving inside of us. But maybe over time, in circumstance, it may be possible that that has relaxed. And we find ourselves on the fence and wishy-washy and just and neutral. And today it would be in the will of God, if anybody is neutral, to break free by the power of Christ in, the, in the, any area of neutrality. Let's pray right now, because nothing's possible in this place without the help of God's Holy Spirit who is the only one who can awaken dead hearts, who can make us alive toward himself, who can speak to us in a way like no preacher ever can. So let's just talk to Christ right now, amen? And let's seek his help together. Pray with me. Father, we bow here in your presence as the most high God. And we say to you, Lord, you are good, you are merciful, you are worthy. And we ask, Father, for help. We ask the Holy Spirit of God to make us aware of what we need today. Speak life, for we are listening. And where there is neutrality, may there be freedom today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you there was a brother in Christ that lived a long time ago by the name of Athanasius. And this was an early church era patriarch. Many of us here today may have never even heard of him. But let me say to you that this dear brother came sometime after the disciples of Christ and lived in an era in which there was still great persecution from the Roman Empire. And what we know about Athanasius is that God gave this dear brother a 45-year ministry. He was in an area of Alexandria, Egypt, and God let him saturate the area with the gospel and made a great difference for Christ. 17 of the 45 years this man was allowed to minister. He spent in exile five different times by five different emperors. The fifth and final time he was in exile. He was summoned by the Roman emperor. And he brought him before the Roman empire. And all of those that gathered with him. 
And it goes down in writing for those who were alive at the time and recorded the events that the emperor was so aggravated with the Thanasias. He was so put up with him because the man kept living through persecution and would not die and finally had enough. And before everybody, he commanded Athanasius to denounce Jesus Christ as the son, the eternal son of God. And whenever the report went out, it was written that when Athanasius stood there before him, the emperor screamed at him and he said, I command you, denounce Jesus Christ. And then he looked out at the crowd He said, do you not realize that all the world is against you? And that's when Athanasius responded back and he said this, then I am against all the world. And that was it. You know what? That's what conviction looks like. Conviction looks like in the same way. What Paul would tell the church in Galatians chapter 6, he would say, God forbid that I should boast. In anything except the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And that's the stance of conviction. Conviction finds its teeth there. It's what it sinks its teeth into. And it's always because conviction is captured by the majesty of Jesus Christ. The audience of one. Wanting to always please him. No matter how unpopular that may be. There is a difference between preference and conviction. And in our day and time, those two can get mixed up. Preference speaks from a fleshly mind that is not renewed by the Spirit of God. Where conviction comes from a renewed mind by the Spirit of God. Preference in our society today that says from a fleshly mind, Hey, if a man wants a homosexual relationship, it's his life, he can do whatever he wants. But then conviction sets in from a mind that's been renewed by the Word of God. And then we'll say, no, 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 wait a minute. God created Eve for Adam, the woman for the man. And marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Conviction speaks from that, not to be arrogant, but to be passionate for truth. A preference may shout out from a fleshly mind. And say, hey, if a woman wants to abort her baby, it's her body. Let her do whatever she wants. But then conviction with love and compassion would step in and would say from a mind that's been renewed by the word of God, no, wait a minute. Life begins at conception. Children are a gift from God and the very fruit of a woman's womb is God's literal biblical reward to that woman. Conviction speaks not to be proud, not to be haughty, not to be better than anyone. It speaks because it resonates and is founded at the baseline of truth. When truth begins to be negotiated, everything falls apart. But where truth remains established, that is where conviction finds its roots. And the truth is out of the word of God. What we know today is that Romans chapter 8, Apostle Paul said, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He says the carnal mind 
cannot be subject to the law of God. And he simply says it, says it because whenever somebody, whenever the mind of flesh is going through these things, the mind of flesh and the mind of God's spirit, they clash. It's like a war. And when they happen, they can't agree on anything. It's that contrasted. So whenever the truth of Scripture is presented to someone, and their response to the truth of what the Bible says is rebellion. Fight against it. Don't want it. It's because the Holy Spirit of God is being resisted, rejected, and not submitted to. And therefore, the individual is not able to submit themselves to Scripture simply because the heart and the Spirit of God's help need to generate that and motivate that. A fleshly mind will fight against God, but a a spiritual mind or a renewed mind will fight against flesh. And that's the difference. That's where people are. All the children of God in the church today, every child of God, even listening online, it always comes back down to that truth. How do we have this? Where is this coming from? Why is this going on inside of me? Why am I different? It's because when somebody gets saved and is born again, God indwells them with the Holy Spirit, His very presence. And He gives them what they need. Because if we don't have the Spirit of God within us, we'll destroy ourselves. We've got to have God's help. And that's why the Spirit of God dwells inside and He gives us conviction. In fact, in John 16, 8, Jesus said this. When he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The very conviction that we have is all owned and originates from the Holy Spirit who brings the conviction. He shows us what we need. In fact, even the Greek basis of the verb It's simply this meaning. It just means to bring to light, to expose a fault. Thank you, Jesus. So what it is is that when the Spirit of God moves in, and you and I have been saved by Christ, and we maybe are a baby Christian, and we're just starting off, we bring our whole background, all the things we've done, said, the way we grew up, our mindset is just... Filthy in the things of the flesh. Our hearts changed. There's a new desire. Spirit of God has moved in. So now we need to clean up our mind, our thinking, which is what imitate or helps our behavior look more like Christ. And the Spirit of God is bringing to light faults, showing darkness where there needs to be light. He's guiding us every step as we grow in Christ, cleaning us. So that we can live out sanctification, as Pastor Jordan said, and live out that sanctified life that looks like Christ. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Amen? Everywhere we go, everything we do, we want people to be able to say that my experience with so-and-so as a follower of Jesus is that I am closer to Christ when I am with this individual than I am further away. Because we want to be Christ-like 
in whatever we do and say. That should be the conviction of every child of God. And so we know today with conviction comes the renewed mind and sanctification. It's because conviction is activated with the heart and mind. And it's activated by one source. And that's through the living word of our God. Because just like a mirror, just like looking in a mirror, the word of God will tell us the truth about ourselves. Whether we want to know the truth or not, it will speak and we will need to listen. And that's where we are today. That's the beauty of all this together is that in Jeremiah 17, God would speak to the prophet. He would say, specifically in the passage there, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. None of us can follow our heart. I can't trust my heart. You can't trust yours. Our hearts are messed up with sin. And so we've got to have something else speaking into our life other than that heart feeling, that gut feeling. We've got to have some truth. Amen? And therefore, when we go to the Word... The scripture shows us what we need. The spirit of God teaches us the mind of God, the word of God. And that's how we began to change and transform. Our renewing of our minds comes through the word. And today, Hebrews 4 and 12 lets us know that the word of God is so living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces even the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of heart so today we're okay with that and this is what happens when we have the word of god god is waking up inside of us any darkness that's there he's revealing to us what we need to know and therefore how we can transform and so the the more we read and study the scriptures the more we are in a nice vulnerable position to be able to hear from god and god to work in us But if God's people get away from the scriptures, then we have no life being spoken into us. And carnality can become a problem, just like it was for the Corinthian church. And we've got to have that together. And today I want you to think about this from the word of God's perspective. And that's where our goal is today, is to go forth and say, Holy Spirit of God, I want you to awaken in me this. And the truth of the word, I want it to be more real to me than it's ever been. St. Augustine made a statement years ago about the Bible. And he said, the Bible is shallow enough for a child not to drown, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim. And you and I want to be able to approach Scripture in the same way, that wherever we are in this journey of faith, and whatever understanding we still need, We just want to be able to say, Lord, I'm only able to get in a little deep. I don't want to go deeper, but I want to to wait on you to help me swim and show me and teach me. And that is our approach and our response to the living Word of God. I want to encourage you today to be thinking in this aspect as well. That when God has chosen to communicate with us through Scripture, He has done it not so we'll win Bible trivia contests. He hasn't done it so that we'll be smarter than somebody else. God did not just give us the scripture to sit on the shelf and pick it up once a week. It is God's way of saying, hey, I've got a message. And I want to communicate with you my heart through the ages of time. I want to show you what I've done in people's lives so you'll be able to glean principle out of context 
and it transformed yours right where you are. Amen? That's why we read. That's not, we don't read out of obligation. We should never read the scripture out of obligation. We should read it out of adoration and desire and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. When we begin to do that and the word begins to transform, that's when we begin to have things start turning on on the inside out. And things begin to happen. And when we begin to see this, God reveals his scripture so we will make up our minds whether we believe what he says or what he doesn't. We'll just decide, belief, faith, or doubt, wherever it is. But he waits on a response. Never does he want it to be neutral. It's kind of how it was in Joshua 24. When the Israelites looked out at Joshua, and he looked at them, and they had gotten to this point in the journey, and he said to them, he said, Hey guys, choose for yourself this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can serve these other gods of the Amorites and all these other names I can't pronounce. You can serve them. But you need to know that I'm going to serve the Lord. And that became what he did. He said to them, make up your mind. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah is looking at the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them out there. And they're worshiping false gods. And he looks at them and he says, hey, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship him or follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But what is he saying? Just don't be in the middle. Make up your mind. When the disciples of Jesus were around a crowd of people, in John chapter 6, Jesus had a lot of people following him at that point, in addition from the 12 disciples. There's a crowd coming. He preached one thing. All the crowd went away except the 12 disciples. He looked at them and he looked at the crowds going. He said, hey, do you also want to go away with them? In other words, is your decision to follow me or are you going to follow the crowd? Which one do you want to do? But don't be in the middle. The church that was lukewarm in Revelation 3 was called the church at Laodicea. And Jesus' response to that church was this. I wish you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is implying, I don't want you to ride the fence. I want you to make up your mind and serve me with all your gods. But don't be in the middle. When we understand the text in this way, conviction cannot be neutral because it awakens the heart and mind to truth that transforms and empowers. It's a freedom from the shackles of flesh. And the Apostle Paul takes 1 Corinthians 10 that I'd love for you to turn to right now. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Apostle Paul shares with us what happened to a group of Old Testament people who chose to chance it, who chose to coast, who decided, I'm not going to make up my mind. I'm just going to take my chances. And it cost them. And it shows us in this passage what neutrality really looks like when, God, when people play a game of neutrality with God. And what we find in the passage in the text here together is that Paul shares this with us. Neutrality paralyzes conviction. And it happens, it happens if we end up relaxing our persuasion of Scripture for convenience, popularity, political correctness. So let's do this. Let's go ahead right now. And let's just examine ourselves in the presence of God together. 
and let's humble ourselves together and let's just agree together by faith since nobody has arrived, especially me, and we need God's help. Let's humble ourselves right here and say, God, I want to examine myself before you and I want to take inventory today of my heart and my mind. And I want to be able to identify if there is any uncrucified fleshly neutrality that is being allowed in my life that is suffocating spirit-driven convictions. And if there is anything there, then today, the, the glorious news that we need to remember and keep on shouting out is that in the, in the neutrality, in the, in, the, in the bottom of the pit, there is the Lord God Almighty who doesn't want anybody to stay neutral but would rather you be hot, amen, and seeking him. And today my prayer is that we will take the text and break free from any neutrality that can happen. The one thing no Christian would want to do is to approach the time in the scripture and say, I already know where I stand. I'm not neutral. I'm good. Everything's cool with me and God. I got it all. I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody that's way over here. I'm, I'm okay. Rather, we would want to submit ourselves and say, hey, my heart can be deceitful. I can deceive myself in thinking I'm doing God's will and I'm not. I want to be humble before him and we want the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. So let the word do the work that it does. And let's hear from what God says as Paul shares this under the inspiration of God's spirit as an example for you and I. Go with me to verse 1. Let's hear what he says. There are four indications of what it looks like to be trapped in neutrality. Beginning here, he says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them for they were struck down in the wilderness. When we read that statement there, we are captured by the thought, how would this happen? The Israelites, Paul's referring to, are being taken out of Egypt Freed by the love of God. Delivered from bondage. And now they're on their way to the promised land by Moses, who is helping lead the way. And what we find out right here in the text is that they decided that even though all of them had this happen, and all of them were being led this way, something took over. And what took over was not good. What took over in the text is simply that the Apostle Paul is drawing attention to the fact that all of them were under the cloud. All of them passed through the sea. All of them had the opportunity. All of them had the experience with God. And yet most of them God was not pleased with. And so the problem here to say is what's, the, what's going on in the text? And the text is basically drawing attention to the fact that even though they all had the help of God, they all did not respond the same way. And that is where the weakness is to understand here today. They were being entertained by the faithfulness of God rather than being energized by the faithfulness of God. Ingratitude becomes a trap 
of neutrality. It was for the Israelites, it was for the Jewish leaders, and it was in this way, in this way today that we can understand. It looks like this. It's when a prayer life has lost its fervency. And we just pray to pray, but don't pray to really seek the Lord. It's when Bible study can go even days without opening the Scripture to be even bothered by it, that it's even been that long. It's whenever the Christian life has adapted to not sharing the gospel anymore with lost people. has gotten used to not doing that. God's people have got to be careful that we don't become, well, we don't become entertained by the faithfulness of God, taking for granted that God's been good. God's been good. We're on the way to the promised land. We're on the way to heaven. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, we start losing sensitivity that I've been, God's been good to me, but God, I don't want to be entertained by your faithfulness. I want to be energized by it to do your will. Amen? And that's the factor that we've got to hold in question today. And what you and I have got to be careful of is to make sure that's not our case, that we're not trapped in neutrality, taking for granted the blessings of God, but yet our Bible, life, our Bible study life has just fallen away. Our prayer life is very minimal and insincere. Our share in the gospel hasn't happened for five months with the one lost person around. We would have to look at ourselves and say to one another, okay, I can't let this happen. I've got to get out of neutrality because this is a trap of being entertained by the faithfulness of God. There's another trap. Look with me what he says in verse 6. Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So he says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. As we hear with hearts today that want to reverence the Lord and delight in him and to do his will, what we see here is another trap, is being enticed into lust. The lusts that are mentioned here, it's very obvious that there was idolatry. There was sexual immorality. There was complaining. There was rebellion. All of this was happening in the text. And what Paul does is he says, remember how God was not pleased with them? Well, he takes the moment to say why God was not pleased. And he gives us four examples in the text there and lets us know these were ways that God was not happy with his people because they felt neutral. And their response to God's word, they had it clearly from Moses, but they started neglecting that and doing their own thing. Lust is a trap of neutrality. And when I talk about lust, our stigma is always sexual sin. Most of the time we think of lust in that way, but that's not just what it's about. Many times people can lust for prestige, lust for position, lust for material things and covetousness. And these things are temptations, but temptation is not the issue. It's our own desire. Desire enters 
It either enthrones lordship to Jesus or it dethrones lordship to Jesus. We are either captured by the majesty of Christ or we are captured into the misery of deception. This happens any given day. If we don't wake up, set our guard right, and be ready to hear from Christ and to do his will according to his word. The temptation is real in these ways. And so God looks at our innermost conscience in front of him and he waits to see if we're going to make a decision to either love him above all or to glorify ourselves. To glorify him, to love self, or gratify ourselves. If, any of us, if anybody is by chance trapped today right now in the grip of enticement to addiction, sexual sin, even complaining with an attitude of complaining, materialism, then be lovingly warned from the scripture today. Run now to Christ to escape the lustful grip of enticement because it is numbing you of conviction. But most importantly, it's robbing God of his glory. Those are things that we can't live with. We don't want to walk around with. We want to stay close to Christ in the manner and say, God, I want to be on guard and reminded to not be enticed into various lusts that draw my attention and my heart away from you, that would mess up convictions. There's a third trap in the text that we don't want to miss. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for is it not sharing in the blood of Christ. The bread that we, that we break is it not sharing in the body of Christ. Speaking here of communion, the Lord's Supper. Because there is one bread, we who are many as one, are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and, to, and not to God. I do not want you to, have particip- to particip- participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? The Apostle Paul is acknowledging that the Corinthians were trying to do it both ways. They were trying to eat of the Lord's table, take of the bread and the juice of communion, and then they were participating in these other ways with other idolatry-type worship. And Paul is saying to the church, guys, you can't go both ways. You, you can't have it this way either. And what Paul was addressing was the issue of double-mindedness. One of the traps of neutrality is being entangled with double-mindedness. And that happens in our life if we find ourselves in times where we're really struggling in the flesh. And instead of walking in God's spirit and having victory there, we end up giving in to the flesh and sinning against God in whatever way. But rather than repenting of that, it begins to grow roots in our heart. And we begin to lose fervency for the Lord. That's because that unconfessed sin is pulling us away from Christ. We cannot fellowship with Christ. And as Paul said, fellowship with demons. He's basically saying the time to make up the mind is real. It provokes God to jealousy. 
In Exodus 20, verse 4, in the Ten Commandments, God made this statement about carved images and idolatry. He said, I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He wants the throne of our hearts. Amen? He wants to be captured, uh, capturing our attention in that way. In James 1, 8, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Double-mindedness is a trap of neutrality. Double-mindedness happens when there's plenty of knowledge up here and in here of the Word of God. But the knowledge is forced to compete with compromise. Lowering our standards and our values for popularity and acceptance, no matter what the cost may be, for friends and family and different people we know and work with. That's when that can take over. And when that happens, it's not a good outcome. James 4 and 17 says, To him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so in the presence of God today, if there be any form of neutrality, if there be any area that we're on the fence, even if we're active at church, and we may be here and serve here and, and love to worship here, but our lives outside of the church, we need to be as fervent about seeking the Lord in the scriptures and in time of prayer and sharing the gospel and living out the Christian faith as much as we are in here to lift him up in worship. It needs to follow us wherever we go and however we do it. And that's where double-mindedness can come in. It weighs us down. It keeps us from being completely in one direction because we're pulled in another. Double-mindedness can actually end up interrupting the Christian walk big time. If there's any ground of neutrality here today, I pray that it would be overcome by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And it would be overcome today and we would break free from neutrality in any way possible. Fourth of all, and last of all, I want you to notice in the text, the Bible says in verse 12, one fourth trap that's identified here. So, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. When Paul is saying this to the Israelites, it's very obvious that they thought, hey, we got it going on. We're the people of Abraham. We're the people of Israel. We're under covenant with God. We're untouchable. Invincible. God's on our side. And what happened to those people is they took their relationship with God for granted. They took advantage of his blessing, his goodness. They began to be entertained by his faithfulness rather than being energized by it to do his will. They just, got, they just kind of put up with everything and said, Lord's going to always be good to me. God's so good. Things are always great. God's on my side. And then a lot of them fell dead in the wilderness. The question to ask and the thing to go into for you and I to realize is that some of these Israelites decided to stand pridefully comfortable in their relationship with God, with Moses, until this happened. God is not interested in, in favoritism. He doesn't play favorites based on who we are. He's interested in faithfulness. And he wants, to be, he wants his people to be faithful. The fourth trap that's found here in the text is very obvious. And it is being engulfed with pride. Whoever thinks they stand needs to beware because they fall. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Because pride cannot be allowed to continue. 1 Peter 5, the Bible says, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's the way God's at work, y'all. 
Today, if there's any pride that's been allowed to resist him, if we found ourselves being entertained by his faithfulness, enticed into lust, becoming double-minded in some areas where we need to have conviction, but instead there's just neutrality there, then it would be right in the presence of God to say, Lord, pride. Pride has gripped my heart to where I've taken these things for granted, Lord. And I cannot form convictions. I can't have long-lasting convictions. I can't stabilize my life with you out of conviction. If I'm wishy-washy and unpredictable day-to-day with where I stand with you. Because I need your life speaking into me, Lord. Today, if that is any of us, please understand. To fall into this trap, it would mean to feel pretty good about our relationship with Jesus. Think things are going okay. And yet, in the same breath, we can't deny that there are some parts of our life that just don't match up to his. And if that's the case, there's pride and double-mindedness. And these things are ridding us of conviction, keeping conviction from being solid and foundational. And before we know it, we can fall into self-deception. And we'll reduce conviction to just preference. I want to tell you today, I would desire that none of us stay there if we're there. Amen? The traps are real. The deception's real. The Word of God is powerful. And the Spirit of God is yearning and willing and desires to set anyone free. Why is this such a passion? Why preach on this? Why spend time admonishing, exhorting, pleading? Because this world we live in, y'all, is so lost. It's so dying, hell-bound. People are so proud of what they should be ashamed of. God's people have the gospel. We've got the answer. We've got what money can't buy. We've got the Spirit of God within who can anoint and empower and use God's people powerfully. But if there's no conviction in the workplace and in the college and in the classroom... And then down the street and in the Walmart line, y'all, if the conviction's not there, then there will be no standing. There will be no boldness. There will just be cowering and being quiet. While the world just continues to go to hell and deceived and they need the gospel. What we can't do is be neutral. And today, if there's any of us that say, I'm not, my heart's on fire for Christ. Just this week I've been in prayer repenting, confessing sin, making things right with God. In this moment, my heart is right because I'm seeking His face. I would say to you, praise God, brother and sister. Keep that up. But if there's any of us that say, I've gotten comfortable, I've gotten relaxed. I used to have time in the Word of God very diligently, and now I can go several days and hardly even miss it. I don't really read scripture anymore. I have no life being spoken into me. I'm just going through my emotions day by day, living my crazy life. My friend, be careful. There's danger there. The world, Christ needs you because this world needs you. If the prayer life is suffering, if our relationship with our marriage and our friends and our children is suffering, let's go back to the basics. Go back to ground zero. Go back. Let's find ourselves and say, hey, I know whether or not I am living the Christian life the way Christ says to. I know whether I am or not. And if I'm not, 
then my conscience bears witness and the Spirit of God will help me now. And today, rather than staying there, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's only freedom and liberty. There's breaking free. He's the God that caused Lazarus to come out of a tomb who no matter how dead he was, he came alive. And he's still waking dead things up in people's lives all the time. Today, I want to tell you, what would be our response? Our response would be this. In just a few moments, I'll be here in this altar and some of our elders will join. This altar will be open to pray. And a prayerful response that we could offer to God today, a prayerful response could be right in this manner. It could be, first of all, confessing the struggle that we've had with an area that we used to be on fire about, but have gotten neutral and relaxed in. And the passion and the zeal is not quite there like it used to be. Today, just pull up, cry out to God, and just talk to God in prayer about what the struggle is. And when we talk to Him about it, second of all, repent fervently from that. If we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we always got. And if the best thing for you and I to do is to come to church and leave the same way we came home, or go home the same way we came in, then we will miss this moment to sit at the feet of Jesus. We'll miss this moment to just be right here in His presence and say, God, I don't want to miss another invitation, another opportunity, another time to just let you know, Lord, I haven't arrived. I haven't perfected this Christian life. And Lord, I cannot afford to be neutral in this day and time ever. My children need me. My grandchildren need me. My co-workers need me. Every atheist on my street needs me. I need to be your sounding board. I cannot be passive. I must make up my mind. And third of all, it would be to make up our mind in freedom with conviction. The devil would love to beat you up where you are kick you while you're down, tell you you're not good enough, tell you it's been too long, tell you the conviction's not real, and tell you to keep doing what you're doing. But I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is Lord, and His Word is life, and life abundantly. Hear Him today. Spirit of God, speak in each of our hearts, and let's hear Him. Galatians 5 and 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Today, if there's even one of us that's lost without Christ, you've never been saved, you've never become a Christian, but you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead, today, listen, the greatest trap for you is not neutrality, it's eternity separated from God into a devil's hell. But this Lord Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He wants you to repent and believe his gospel, to come to him, to know him as Lord and Savior because he loves you. But for God's people, if any of us are trapped and we're going through the motions and we need to form convictions, today's message lays a foundation to just establish We've got to break free from any neutrality or we're not going to be in any shape to want to listen to what convictions Pastor Eric's going to share. We've got to get it right. And today, if there's any of us that just need to cry out to Christ, you do so in this time before the Lord and may God help you and he'll meet with you.
because Christ wants to free you and use you so you can give God glory and not stay trapped anymore. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you loved us first. And we cry out right now, Lord God, in this message and in this moment of this invitation, this is your service. Lord God, none of us have arrived. None of us have figured all this out. Which means there's a chance we could be struggling with an area of neutrality. God, give the mom and the dad conviction today to break free for the health and the safety of their family. Help them for their marriage and their children. Help them to get back where they need to be, Lord God. I pray you would do so in the individual that's struggling at work and giving in to conversations and attitudes that are showing neutrality rather than conviction. God, help us today in our walk with you if we've grown negligent in areas where we need to be firm and foundational. Lord Jesus, pick us up where we are and we'll run to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand God's people. Let's seek his face at this time.